Hello, my friends on futureprimitive.org. I am today on the phone with Disa van Larhoven. She is the executive director of the Marian Institute. Disa van Larhoven joined the Marian Institute in 2006 after volunteering to organize the first Connecting for Change Bioneers by the Bay Conference. She has been the executive director since 2007 and works assiduously to oversee and develop the programs and serendipity projects of the Marian Institute. Disa has her BA in biology with a minor in environmental science from Stonehill College. I could tell you a lot more about Disa, who is my director and a colleague in the work of Future Primitive, but I would rather ask her to speak, Disa, could you speak to begin with about how you became aware that we are the environment and that working for the environment is extremely precious? Sure. So basically, I, I feel like it's always been in me. Um, I was really, really fortunate in my upbringing. And um, one of the biggest things that my parents instilled in, in me was just that, just as you said, like we are nature, we are the environment, and we are we are not just part of it, but we are it. And you know, they they raised me with, um, you know, we had a little small family farm with chickens that I watched incubate and hatch, and was very much part of that process. We ate, you know, our own eggs, you know, from the chickens. We really. Uh, watched the whole process of, of, of nature and were very much a part of it. So I think at a young age, I really started to fall in love with it. I remember the first time I ever really realized and noticed tadpoles and the formation of tadpoles becoming uh, froglets and frogs and, and just being so excited at that transformation. And then, you know, from there it went to just a, you know, a tiny little seed popping up and sprouting up. And it just, it, was so exciting to me, and um, you know, I think that that really has has laid a foundation for me throughout my life to really understand that and to try to build on that. You know, with with everything that we do here at the Marion Institute, um, and you know, there's there's been you know a lot of a lot of uh, moments in my life that I think have sort of changed the trajectory of where I, I could have gone. And um, you know, one being when I I studied abroad when I was in college, and I went to Australia, and I. I actually give Australia a lot of credit for helping to form my opinions, um, you know, in terms of, of the environment and, and sustainability in, entrenched in a culture and how important it really is and should be as a part of our everyday learning. Um, that, you know, again, you know, what we do truly affects our environment around us and, and who we are and, you know, our health. And, um, you know, really talking about that and making that point, I think, is just really important. Well, Disa, um, I um, appreciate your qualities of uh, leadership and uh, sort of um, collaborating on the growth of uh, the Marian Institute. And uh, I wanted to ask you, with your connection to the earth, how is the uh, connection between being aware of the earth and kindness, because you express a lot of kindness in your leadership. How did, how does this come about, that the two things merge? Um, you know, again, I think, I honestly think many of my qualities really, um, you know, stem from who I am through, through how I was raised. And, you know, my parents were really, they did a lot of things uh, purposefully. And, you know, they, they integrated the, the idea of having a small family farm purposely. Um, they did the same thing for me uh, in terms of I was the youngest. I'm the youngest of four. Uh, you know, I have three siblings. So I'm the youngest of four. And two of my siblings are adopted. And uh, I sort of always tell this story. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, I think I was around five years old when I finally figured out that 
my siblings were. I, I had the different family, not other people. Mm-hmm. And I remember this one particular story that one of my uh, a good friends, I was at her house, and she had five siblings uh, that were all blonde hair and blue-eyed and looked exactly alike, and they were all gorgeous. And I remember playing tag and running to, um, you know, get flee from this crew of people that were the, the family that was coming to chase me to, you know, tag me and I, I'd become it. And I remember running up a set of stairs and looking down and, and just really in disbelief realizing that they all looked alike and sort of saying to my friend Vanessa, uh, you know, why do you all look alike? And she's like, well, they're my siblings. <laughs> and I was just so baffled. And I was like, well, I don't look like my siblings. Like, what are, what are you talking about? And she just kind of looked at me and she understood already that I was the different one and I had a different upbringing than she did. And I think through that, um, you, like, you realize that, you know, kindness um, and live, I, I guess living by example is just really important in, 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 in terms of leadership. And I think, you know, I've just been very blessed with the life that I've been given. And so I think that, you, you know, I think kindness goes hand in hand with that when you feel eternally grateful for your, your world in which you've been placed and um, your world in which you're trying to grow and create um, a more love-filled place, then kindness is the only answer. And, and leading with that uh, mentality, it just, it's just one and the same. It's hard, you know, to even think of it being any different. And don't get me wrong, because I have my moments where, I, you know, sure. I definitely make mistakes and I definitely, um, you know, uh, you know, feel fail in, in many ways. And I think that's part of it as well as being kind to myself too, is saying, okay, you know, go to, towards love and light and let it go because mm-hmm. you're not going to come up with anything good if you just beat yourself up and you beat other people up. You know, we all have moments in life where um, we make mistakes and we have to be kind about that. Um, so I think that that's, you know, a big part of my leadership. And I would also say, again, that I'm very fortunate because I grew up in a time where sports, um, female playing sports were very much a norm. And so I was, I played volleyball, basketball, and softball. And, um, and through that, I learned really how to be a team and how to, how to win as a team and play as a team and work as a team. And that if you do that well, if you truly do that well, you, you can achieve so many great things. And, you know, my first team that I was put on was my family. You know, and so yeah. and my, te- my, family, my family team works extremely well. We've, we've communicated through many differences and many hardships and many things that we needed to come through, especially being an interracial family. Mm-hmm. And I think with that, that just really has, you know, it's, it's propelled me to, you know, want to also conduct myself um, in the position of executive director of, of really trying to take that piece of being a team player um, and, and, and leading through example and leading, you know, hopefully 99% of my time, I hope, um, with kindness and with that in mind, um, and, and to, to love and give more and serve more, um, than, than, than I expect others, you know, to do. So. Mm-hmm. so this adventure of the Marion Institute, I often see the people involved with the Marion Institute as uh, as continuing the true pioneer work that uh, that uh, happened when uh, Europeans came here a long time ago you know the the really good honest aspect of uh, the pioneer work that exists in America so um how do you feel about your contribution to the Marion Institute and the various programs? You know, I feel I feel great. I think that there's always you can always do more, you can always serve more. You know, so I definitely get caught into that. Like it, this work is so exciting to me, and I'm just surrounded by amazing people that want to do you know really root cause solution based work and break down as many many barriers and make it as, as, as accessible as possible and you know you know very very diverse folks that I'm surrounded by so I feel I feel very you know privileged and I feel like that's 
that is going to help shape and mold uh, the changes. And I think that, you know, I, I look at just simply the United States of America, and I, I, I think about one of the biggest opportunities that we have and one of the biggest assets that we have is that we are a diverse nation. And I feel like once we truly start to embrace that, the diversity that we have here, then we, you know, can, you know, will start to build our nation again in terms of the, and, and putting love first and, and um, really cherishing that and understanding that once we have everybody sitting around the table, that we can really um, solve more problems and, 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 and you, know, equal, you know, creating a more equal-based uh, place in which to live and a society in which to grow. So I feel like Marion Institute is definitely, um, you know, on the cutting edge of, of, of doing that work. Um, and, and we start here, too. We do, we have this walk your talk mentality here. All of my teammates do. And we all sort of look at each other and we challenge each other in a love-filled way on how we can walk our talk even more, you know, and, and how we can build, um, a, you know, a, a, a more transparent, better life for ourselves and so that we can go into the communities and start to do that as well, continue our work there. So, I mean, I definitely feel like I am surrounded by pioneers, you know, and starting with the, the founders, Michael and Margie Baldwin. Exactly. I mean, they, they literally uh, had a vision and just sort of didn't really know where it was going to take them and had some friends gathered around them, you know, called the Hush Bunch, where they shared information about building themselves, you know, really going deeper and really building their foundations in which, you know, in, in who they are in the human spirit. And it's just gone from there to here. You know, now we're supporting 20 programs and projects worldwide. And it went from living room talks to now, you know, a conference that's over 2,500 people came to last year. And it's, I mean, it's just, it's amazing to see what they've been able to do by critically looking and, uh, again, with a love-filled heart, looking at themselves and how they could grow, where it's, it's gone from that to doing it across the board to as many people as possible to, you know, our website reaching, you know, 30 to 40,000 people a month and, you know, continuing to grow that, that, and uh, it's just, it's, it's so beautiful to kind of just bear witness and be a part of that in a small way. So I, I think that, you know, we really are on the cutting edge and we're really, um, you know, just in everything from our leadership to our accountability, to our work ethic, to um, what we're trying, what we're trying to achieve together. And that all of this work is collaborative and no, none of us could do this alone. But when we, when we look around and we see all of our teammates and, and our project leaders and our program leaders doing such amazing work, it just, it just completely inspires us to do more and to serve, you know, you know, deeper and, and, um, all of that. So I, I feel I feel very good about our work here at the Marion Institute, and I feel very work very good about um, you know personal contribution. And but I mean, just like with everything we give, you receive tenfold back. And so I feel you know, almost gluttonous at times at how you know <laughs> wonderful I feel at the end of the day when I see you know what happened with our Toxie International School, or you know what's happening at the the Himalayan project in Nepal, and. You just feel so good at the end of the day that it's almost like I wish I just wish everybody on earth could feel that, you know, and everybody could feel that um, that that. And I really do believe that service is a way that people can um, have that feeling day in and day out. Beautiful, beautiful. So I'm going to ask you from the heart, because this is a rare opportunity to speak with you about these things. Uh, when I say biological medicine, a program of the Marian Institute, what do you feel is the contribution of biological medicine? I feel the biological, the contribution that we're able to give um, is biological medicine to me is truly the root cause solution for, for medicine. It goes to the root of the problem and it, it literally tries to identify what the systematic problem is, what is the issue, and why is the symptom of cancer or the symptom of Lyme disease or the symptom of a flu, why is that happening? And so it, 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 I feel like Biological Medicine Network really is able to take this and try to break down barriers and boundaries and, and, and literally make it accessible to everybody through either a book or literature or information or a seminar or a training. And, and um, 
you know, really try to get the word out there that there are other options out there. That, yes, antibiotics are necessary at times. Yes, surgery is, is necessary at times. Yes, the United States has the premier and, and the, you know, the best emergency room um, medical assistance that there is in the world. But there are so many other things that we can do to prevent and to rid the body of these toxins and these everyday things that, that affect our lives that we don't even realize. You know, it's, if, you look at, you know, if you look at the packaging and the pro- processed food and what people are ingesting every single day, almost three meals a day, you know, from, from these random dyes put in the food to um, high fructose corn syrup to, um, you know, all these different toxins that literally add up, and, you know, and, and then you just take a step back and then you look at what people put on their skin, what kind of shampoo they use, what are all the chemicals that are the human condition, the human body is faced with every single day. It is enormous. And it, it, it has absolutely, I mean, it's times a hundred. I mean, I, I don't even know the statistic at how many um, chemicals that we come out with and we, we come in contact with every single day. And so we need to, and our body has not evolved for this. I mean, this is really only in the last, you know, 50 years at most. And so our body is not ready for this. And hence, cancer rates climbing, hence all these chronic illnesses and diseases. And what I feel like biological medicine does is it takes a step back and treats a person as a person and, you know, restores, it works to restore, replenish, and rejuvenate the body because the human body does not want to get sick and and perish. The human body wants to sustain and exist. And so if we can take away those toxins, if we can detox the body so that the human condition, the human liver um, can actually filter the blood and get those bad toxins out that our, our body can't can't handle, then if we can do that, then we can, you know, prevent these illnesses from happening. Um, but it's all related. It's all related to everything that we put into our body, everything we put on our body, the air we breathe, the water we drink, the, the metals we put in our mouth. Um, it's, it's all simply related. And so the more we can get the word out there that this is a root cause solution, I think, um, and the more people we can we can get put this literature in people's hands, but they have another choice. They have an option. It just simply makes sense to me. It's 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 biologic, which is the study of life, the study of the life process, and, and it's the logical piece. And it just it simply makes sense to me. Um, and and after seeing results from people um, for the last you know six years, it's just amazing to see what's and it's it has such a much longer track record than that, but but to see the results um, in people just gets me fired up every day to really want to like put this out there in, in such a, a big way because people deserve it. People, you know, we're, people deserve to have a, another, you know, um, take at their own medical conditions and how can, you know, another another side, another mm-hmm. example of how, you know, we can, we can take our, and it's my belief that we can take this um, and it is our responsibility individually to take our own health seriously and to be the masters of our health rather than trusting a million people to tell us what's right. I think intrinsically, I think it hits you in the gut. I think you know when you eat those Doritos, that's not good. Yes. <laughs> I think we all know when we pop open a, a can of Coke or you know a can of soda pop or whatever it is that we know it's actually not good yeah. for our health. And because we feel differently when we pick a carrot out of a garden and we eat that organic carrot, and we feel, I think our, every single cell in our body feels different, and it feels healthier, and it, it's saying, thank you for giving me that carrot, instead of those, you know, chips that are filled with, you know, colored dyes and all these different things, it's saying thank you. And so I think once we tune that in, and once we give people, you know, more literature and more hope, um, you know, that there are other solutions out there, then, then I think we'll, you know, begin to combat this stuff. And I think, you know, it, it, it's already happening, but at such a small scale that we need to really ramp that up. So it was very uh, touching to me a couple of years ago when uh, the Marion Institute and Cambodian Living Arts became united Speak briefly about Cambodian Living Arts. Sure. Cambodian 
Living Arts is just an absolutely amazing program um, that takes place in Cambodia. Um, and essentially what it is is it has a vision by 2020 that they want to create a world where people think of Cambodia and they think of traditional and cultural arts, not the Killing Fields and the Khmer Rouge. Um, obviously, Cambodia has been through so much in the last 50 years in terms of the turmoil and the, the hardship and the you know atrocity of, of, of a genocide and and having that happen um, is just absolutely atrocious for any any nation and what's you know what's more is that that 90 percent of the intellects the artists the traditional artists the creative thinkers were targeted and, and killed systematically killed and mm-hmm. it, it's it's devastating for a nation to have those people all all killed in one fell swoop. Um, and, and not only that, I mean, it's devastating to know that your neighbors were a part of that and, and that how do you go on? How do you heal as a nation? In Cambodian Living Arts, um, this, this gentleman, the, far, the co-founder, Arnshorn Pond, who himself was, um, in, was a child soldier and was um, taken and his, almost his entire family was killed. And Arnshorn Pond was extremely young when this had happened, and he ended up um, almost dying and was was adopted uh, by near the Thai border by this gentleman named Peter Pond. And Peter Pond later um, was they he had a, a few other uh, adopted adopted kids, and and they grew up in New Hampshire. And Peter later brought Arn to this. Um, this UN Council, and, and, and Arn spoke, and, and Peter knew he had been through really bad stuff, but he didn't know to the extent until Arn spoke about it. And Arn spoke and, and talked um, all about the hardships that he faced, um, in which um, he watched his family die, and what really, and, and he was a part of it, um, which was, you know, the, the, the tragic part. And what really saved him in a lot of ways was that uh, his whole family was very much was very musically inclined, and uh, they. Uh, but he was so young that that I, he apparently has the genes for it. But he was so young that he really wasn't taught at that point. I think he was around eight years old, and he, um, a master, ended up teaching him how to play the flute. Hmm. So he became known as the flute player, and uh, he 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 basically was taken. But the Khmer Rouge had you know made him create these songs and and. Um, play the flute for for them for their entertainment and so he that was really one of the biggest things that saved him and so from there Arn said you know late later in in, in his life said that you know about, about I think it was about 14 15 years ago that he wanted to go back to Cambodia and he wanted to bring the music back and so he created this with with this gentleman um, one of our associate board members named um, John Burt and they came up with, with Cambodian Living Arts. And Cambodian Living Arts essentially was to empower and to give the spirit back to the Cambodian people, to heal the Cambodian people from the inside out, and to bring back many of these traditional artists and, and these, these musical pieces and the, the traditional art form. And, um, you know, what they were, what they encountered was a, a nation, um, currently the nation one in two people are under the age of 25 years old. And the Khmer Rouge, all of this happened, you know, over 30 years ago. So they had to encounter uh, that, you know, happening. And they, they never, ever anticipated the young people and the desire for the young people to learn about the traditional arts as much as they have. Like the, the young people, it's like in their self. Like they want to, um, they want to learn, learn about it and they hear it and it's very compelling and it brings, it draws them in. And so what they were able to do in the last, you know, 12, 14 years is really identify masters on the ground uh, that, uh, and masters are people that have uh, a master disciplinary in, in a musical facet there. So they're the master musicians. So they found these master musicians and they brought them to Cambodian Living Arts or they empowered them to teach others. So these masters went and they, they are teaching currently all these traditional art forms, smoked and, um, you know, uh, monkey dancing and, you know, uh, you know shadow puppets and, and all this beautiful art form. And they are now empowering them to teach these young youngsters. And these youngsters are, are starting to, um, you know, do this for a living. And they, this is opening whole new avenues up for them. 
to uh, learn about their cultural identity and who they are, and become proud of being Cambodian yeah. citizens, become proud of an, of a nature of, of a their nation, and so this is a way to do everything from building community to building their their hearts back up to, um, you know, breaking down barriers and boundaries to healing you know, and, and forgiving each other. And so, you know, like I said, the year that we hope that the vision is for the Cambodian Living Arts by the year 2020 for the world to know Cambodia for their arts, for their love, not for the killing fields, not for the tragic stuff in the, 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 the minefields, not for that tragedy, but for the love that they are and they have in their hearts. And um, it's an amazing program, and I'm very proud to be a part of it and um, humbled all the time when I hear more and more stories about uh, hope and, and love and, and going deeper there in Cambodia. It's a really, really beautiful, beautiful project. Before asking you to speak about um, the other projects, I wanted to ask you, uh, what does it mean for a program to become part of the family of the Marian Institute? ways that we classify, um, you know, our, our work. One is a program. And when you're a program of the Marion Institute, it means essentially um, it's, 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 it's a little bit deeper than a serendipity project, which is our other form. But it, it really means that the Marion Institute helps to fund it, helps to do its everyday process, like, in, you know, implement it on the ground. It helps to, um, you know, does all of the accounting, the, the database work, and all of the, the um, administrative work, as well as it's on the ground with the program in some, in some form or fashion, either implementing it or finding and identifying a leader on the ground to, it, to implement it in which they are accountable to the Marion Institute. So that's a program in which we have seven programs. And then we have a class called the Serendipity Projects. And, and the Serendipity Projects essentially use our 501c3 um, to our, our, our nonprofit status in which to bring and fund it, funds through. We, the Marion Institute, are not responsible to funding these, this, this agency, um, these Serendipity Projects. Serendipity Projects are in charge of that. And what we are, are responsible for is, is, is accounting for it, making sure that they are accountable to the, the donors the, and the donations that they sequester. And also, um, you know, trying to help them with their goals um, along the way. But we, you know, provide all sorts of different, different assistance in terms of, like, you know, maybe we, have, we can find a few extra computers. We, fill, we try to fill their needs. We try to make sure that um, they are doing root cause solution work. And what sort of ties both the programs and the projects to us um, is that they have to be, um, one, they have to make sure that they are doing root cause solution work. So we're penetrating to the root cause of an issue, and this is a solution for the root cause of an issue. And, and we know that there's millions and millions of root cause solutions out there, um, so that's, but, but we need it to be root cause solutions and not symptom-based and not band-aid-based, which those are definitely important to do, um, but we want to focus on root cause solutions. The other um, piece, uh, sort of thread that, that weaves our work together is accessibility. We want to make sure that we that, that, that this serendipity project or the program tries to break down barriers and boundaries and tries to bring more people to the table and make this make this information or make their project or program as accessible as possible. The third thing is that diversity. Um, you know, the Marion Institute believes that diversity is the key to nature's success. Um, and so, how do we embody that? And we have to be as you know, we have a diverse array of programs and projects, and we have. You know, diverse. Um, we we believe that diversity is is a key to our success. So um, those are the three things that sort of weave our programs and projects together and bind them to the Marion Institute. There's a whole process that happens. Um, you know, there's a whole a vetting process and and voting, and the board has a, a big role in it as well as myself in terms of figuring out. Um, you know, there's a tremendous amount of need, and there's a tremendous amount of people that, and, and serendipity projects and programs that could fit under here. Um, but we also believe in organically growing and not just sort of doing it all at once. And so we try to really um, make sure that every year if we adopt a new project that we deepen the ties to those existing ones that we have mm -hmm. and in this incubating nest. And if, 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 if those, uh, that project is 
ready to go off and do have its own 501c3, then we try to help them to that to that uh, goal, to that end goal of becoming their own 501c3. So that's does that answer your question? Yes, and uh, I want to uh, repeat something you said because uh, I think it's very very important. You mentioned root cause solution work. And uh, I think that should be the flag of the world. So (laughs) I want to ask you um, each year for the past five years, six years, I've come each time to interview people. You bring together many, many people in New Bedford, Massachusetts for a Connecting for Change conference would you like to speak a little bit about that? Sure. So Connecting for Change, a Bioneers by the Bay conference, is a satellite conference of Bioneers, um, you know, the headquarters in, in San Rafael, uh, California. They have an amazing conference out in California. And essentially uh, what, what they've done was about 10 years ago, might be a little more now, um, they actually created a satellite program because they couldn't reach all the people that they, they wanted to. They were reaching about 3,500 people a year, but they knew they could reach more. And so they created this satellite site. We became the, one of their satellite sites back in now 2005 of October. And um, that was our first Connecting for Change of Bioneers by the Bay Conference that we had in which um, was just really a way to bring together people to talk about Um, The fact that we are all connected, but that we're connected to food and farming, health and healing, green business, women uh, empowerment, youth leadership, indigenous knowledge, um, innovative technology, and all of these different subjects, um, you know, basically, uh, you know, all of it is related to each other. And so how do we learn from, from, you know, the subjects and how do we become more connected to these these things that are happening worldwide. And so we try to we try to bring together amazing speakers that come and they sh- share their examples, uh, worldwide examples. And last year we were really fortunate. We had Greg Mortensen of Three Cups of Tea come and share his story about uh, building schools for young girls, mainly in Afghanistan and Pakistan. And the, the amazing track record that he's had, he's built about 170 schools now in Afghanistan and Pakistan, and really trying to, in a way, you know, fight terrorism through love and through education of girls. And, you know, he has this, uh, he talks about this African proverb in which he really subscribes to if, if you, you know, if you, if you teach, if you teach a woman, if you teach a little girl, you, you teach a community, you help a community, um, you know, and the, the, the flip side of it is if you, you know, teach a little boy, you help an individual. And if you teach a little girl, you help a community. Mm-hmm. And he um, has really subscribed to this theory and has, has just done a tremendous amount of work on the ground there. So we brought him, um, we brought him to share his story and, and uh, his, you know, his, his theories and, and his practices with, with the uh, conference goers. And we have, you know, have had Van Jones, who is this amazing um, green jobs, green economy, and uh, green jobs, green economy um leader out there in the world and, and really has really brought the word, you know, the, the token phrase green jobs to uh, fruition in the United States and, and um, you know, providing a pathway out of poverty. And, you know, we have all these amazing speakers that come together and talk about uh, these these topics. And it's all the other, you know, the, as, as part of our work, it has to be solution-based. So we talk, you know, we try to really get people to talk about solutions and then share it with our audience in which it will inspire them to go deeper in their own lives and to be able to make better decisions and more informed decisions. Um, because again, everything, every, we, we just realize over and over again, so, you know, I think that the buzzword is interconnected, that, in, that we are truly all connected. Mm-hmm. And, and we need to realize this because my decisions that I make every day actually affect somebody else and affect many people. You know, if I decide to fly on a plane every single day from now until next year, this day, you know, this, this time, then what am I doing to the earth? How am I, how is that decision? Is that just affecting my life? No, it's not. And so how do we make better decisions? How do we become more informed? 
Um, and how do we forgive each other for making bad decisions? You know, and, and I also, I think about something that Van Jones also says a lot in his, um, in his speeches, but he talks a lot about, you know, either being a part of the solution or a part of the problem. And every decision in which we make, we are in one or the other. And sometimes I'm part of the solution and sometimes I'm part of the problem. But mm-hmm. we hope that we give people the information at this conference to really become more part of the solution on your everyday choices. Because life is just a lot of choices. You know, we have a lot of choices that we can make. And so if you're geared and you're equipped with that information and those tools, then you can hopefully make a better decision that not only helps and supports you, but also supports your neighbors and your loved ones and people in Africa or people in China or people in Japan, and that our choices can actually help and be part of the solution. So this is, I, I love this conference so much because I feel like it brings mm-hmm. together so many people and we share different ideas with each other and it just, this, it just bubbles with enthusiasm and, and positive energy and, and um, it just, you know, solutions pop up, businesses crop up, you know, people are hired, you know, networks happen and continue and, and there's just a positive dialogue there um, in which really hopefully continues to, to uh, inspire people and enlighten people and, and, and continues to make a, you know, I guess be part of the solution. It's a very exciting time each year. And uh, this year it will happen from um, what date to what date? It's October 21st to the 23rd. Exactly. And, and uh, you can go to the uh, Connecting Foot Change website and uh, I encourage you to sign up so that we can meet you eye to eye. And I, I wanted to say something um you know, the Future Primitive, of course, you know, the Future Primitive uh, uh, website uh, is part of the uh, family of the Marion Institute. And uh, I was reflecting on the fact that you you speak about diversity and helping each other. And, you know, um, other than the work of Future Primitive, which is to bring uh, voices of people to the Internet, visionaries, so that... Um, so that ideas can be passed around and uh, ideas for connecting and ideas for connecting to the earth. I go around and I speak a lot to women my age, 65 years old, and uh, through you I'm able to give a lot of enthusiasm to women my age who are part of a very strong uh, uh, poverty level in this country, I can say, look, you know, invent your own work, be creative, and uh, and you, you will get support. And I think that's a very beautiful thing because um, uh, older women are a very important part of the population and that we can... Uh, we can be creative and we can be supported is absolutely wonderful right here, right now. So I just wanted to mention that. Mm-hmm. Well, very well said. So Green Jobs and Green in green Economy Initiative is one of your main programs. Um, just as you have welcomed Cambodia into the family, you also have very strong ties with Colombia through the uh, Gaviota Carbon Offset Initiative. Will you speak briefly about that and what that means to your heart? The Gaviota Carbon Offset Initiative is um, one that was created by Peter Dean, who is a board member of the Marion Institute, and in conjunction with Paolo Lugari, and Paolo is in charge of and a creator creator of uh, Gaviotis in Colombia. And essentially, it's, it's just this very remarkable uh, place in Colombia in which it was a desert. And Paolo, about 30 years ago, had this idea that if he uh, went to the desert and he was able to replant it, that it would come back um, and it would bring the water up from the aquifers and also create 
um, you know, uh, an atmosphere in which water would would condense and, and fall down and, and it would become rainforest. And people sort of looked at him like, mm, I'm not sure if that's possible. But he is a really amazing man and very, very uh, set on, on, on um, you know, doing what's right in terms of sustainability. So he had this theory and he started to implement it. And what he did was he planted Caribbean pine trees in conjunction with a fungi. So, you know, a type of mushroom spore. Mm-hmm. And what he was able to achieve was in the last 30 years, he's able, you know, he's, he's planted approximately 4,000 hectares of, of um, Caribbean pine with uh, the, the accompaniment of the spores. And what's happened is, and what he predicted would happen was essentially the Caribbean pine trees would be, uh, they're very, very quick growing and they can grow in very dry conditions. And so essentially what they were able to do is bring water up from the aquifer and, you know, put the roots down, you know, quite deep and survive in pretty arid conditions and then also provide condensation and provide water to, you know, come from the atmosphere and from the, the, the outside um, air. Mm-hmm. And what happened was the there were many, many seeds, rainforest seeds that were in the soil. And this created an atmosphere in which these seeds could start to germinate. So they were, high, you know, basically hibernating and after they were clear-cut years ago. And so they were hibernating. And so essentially what happened was he, he created the perfect condition in which these, these rainforest plants and trees and ferns could start to pop up. And so naturally what's happened is the Caribbean pine trees are taken back down. Like they naturally will fall down and the rainforest starts to crop up. It's a very, very sustainable um, place in which they, um, you know, bring the water up from below they have they've created all these inventions and innovative techniques and designs in which they have you know like i said bring bring water up from below they do everything from create take palm oil and you know create you know biodiesel with it and and then they go and use it for their their machines or whatever it is um and and they feed and they subsist off these these 4,000 hectares. Approximately 300 people do that, and he also believes in people as well, so he brings a diverse array of people to his his program in which work there, you know, on a daily basis, and they plant trees, and they live at the this, this uh, eco-topia, if you will, mm-hmm. of Gaviotis, and it's, it's this really amazing program. And then what we were able to do was we wanted to, he, he had a vision of, of planting 8,000 more hectares, so we've been we created this carbon offset program and tree planting program, essentially, and we've been able to sell, you know, quite a bit of carbon offsets and, and you know, plant many trees. And so we're actually going down. We have an eco trip to Gaviotis in November of 2011, and we're going to be bringing a group of people down. So we're actually still have some openings at this juncture. Good. But we're going to go down there. We're going to check out um, the tree tree planting program, and we have been generously given. A contribution of sixteen thousand dollars to plant sixteen thousand trees on the ground. So we're going to check on that planting, and we're going to bring the group of people that actually funded that as well. So we're really excited about that. And um, many businesses, I do have to say, and, and individuals have really just been popping up and trying to help out with this initiative, and just really feel compelled to be a part of it. And you know, I think that for us, like we can't do everything, you know, in terms of offsetting our carbon, but. I think that if, I think individuals need to take that ownership. Like when I fly, I do offset my carbon. I think about that. I say, mm-hmm. how many you know tons of carbon did I use to go and fly to Florida for a leadership conference? Like, mm-hmm. what did I use to do that? And it's not the answer. It's not the silver you know silver bullet. There is no silver bullet, but it is. I I do feel like it's part of the solution. Um, and, you know, a, a more that's part of the solution, too, is to, to obviously at the same time become more sustainable yourself. You know, how can you eat more local vegetables or how can you, you know, buy less, consume less products that are harmful to the, to the world and to humanity? So I think this is part of the equation, part of the solution. And so and, and I feel very connected to Gaviotis and Paolo Lugari and his work um, on the ground in Colombia. I think the um, the program we haven't talked about as we are coming close to um, the end of our time together. I think we of the major programs of the Marion Institute. I think we haven't spoken about sustainability education initiative, and 
I think that's well, every one of the programs are very important, and but this one is a local program, right? Mm-hmm. Sure. So Sustainability Education Initiative is this really wonderful uh, program that has really stemmed from, um, I would say it really stemmed from the Connecting for Change of Bioneers by the Bay Conference. What we realized was we're putting together this amazing conference and that, you know, hopefully bringing people together and thinking about these very critical issues and, and creating solutions for them. But we realized that we needed to do a little bit more in our own backyard as well. And so the Sustainability Education Initiative came up, and we have uh, created school gardens now for five different schools, and in conjunction with the school. The school is the one that actually does it. We try to secure funding for them, and we try to um, help advise them and, and lead the way and, and sort of do whatever we need, uh, We you know, we see fit as with the school. Um, so currently we have five uh, schools that we've, quote-unquote, adopted, and um, it's essentially what we do is we go in there, we sit down with the administrators at the beginning of the year, and we talk about how we could go deeper in terms of sustainability and social justice in the schools. And um, we come up, we brainstorm a few ideas, we, we um, observe what they're doing, what the processes they're doing currently, and we try to improve. We've been really successful in things like, like I said, building a garden, um, and then designing curriculum around that, bringing teachers in, having kids, you know, really play in the dirt and understand that there's a scientific process that's happening, that there's art to this, that there's um, nutrition to this, that there's so much that, you know, we can sort of connect curriculum to. And then we do things like we'll sit down and we'll say, well, you know, maybe have you thought about composting? And can we go into your cafeteria? And can we talk to the amazing um, staff in the cafeteria that that, that are cooking and preparing Mm -hmm. meals? And maybe talk about, like, buying locally or what kind of nutrition, you know, is part of the school? And are we able to, you know, buy locally from a farm? Can we have a farm visit? Or can we, you know, compost all the waste, which then we'll use into the landscaping gardens? Or, And so it's, it's endless, the amount of things that we can do. Um, we've, we've identified schools as being sort of a microcosm, um, a place, a, a mini city, if you will, and, and a place that we can really affect a lot of people at the same time. So currently we have an amazing uh, youth coordinator and sustainability education initiative coordinator named Zoe Hanson-DeBello. And Zoe goes into, at this point, about three of the schools once a month for an, an entire day. And she listens and she observes and she starts to um, act as a resource to do things like change the, change the food in the cafeteria or you know, at one school right now, what we're doing is we're actually checking their water quality because they haven't ha- have not seen water quality results in over 10 years. And so they got really nervous that their kids might be ingesting something that might not be great. And so instead, their remedy was to, um, you know, buy bottled water. And what we've said was, okay, that's fine for now, but we really, that's not very sustainable. So what if we help you with identifying and getting the, the, the water samples taken so that you can actually see what it is? And, you know, and then we can determine if it's safe water. And if it's not safe water, we can take another step. We can do different things. And so this is in hopes that we could take that piece of the puzzle and make it more sustainable. And the reality is the schools and teachers and administrators, they're so busy with the everyday thing. And, and, and we have a, a really wonderful vantage point of being able to go into many schools and to be able to see really wonderful things that many schools are doing and share it with the other ones. So somebody's doing, you know, one particular school is doing um, vermi composting. So they have these worms that are just breaking down um, their compost, and the kids get all excited, and they see all these worms because kids love worms, <laughs> just like I do. Yeah. But um, so what we're able to do is get in there and say to all four other schools or the other schools that we walk into and say, this is a really great, this is what they're doing, and maybe we could do this with you. Do you would you like to? And then maybe one or two of them say, yes, absolutely, that would be wonderful if we could do that. So we try to share resources, share ideas, and then we try to sort of put a little bit of muscle behind it. Um, but it's really the, the real credit goes to the schools and the administrators and the teachers um, and the students and the parents that are all taking the time and getting excited about this work and then implementing it. Mm-hmm. So we just try to really bring resources, ideas, energy to a school, and then they try to implement it. And then, you know, if, we, if, if needed, we try to implement it with them. Um, but, you know, it's, it's, it's just a remarkable program, and I only see it growing. And, the, you know, I can't tell you how many schools reach out to us every day to, 
you know, ask us if we can adopt them. And at this point, we don't have the capacity to um, mm-hmm. adopt any more than we have at this point. But, um, you know, hopefully we can continue to build this because it really is a remarkable program. And, you know, wonderful funders have come in, AD Make Peace and, and the, you know, the Kearney Foundation and just really great funders that have said that this is a critical piece in the, in the equation and how can we go deeper. Well, um, I want to encourage people to go to the Marion Institute website and find out about uh, the serendipity programs as well. And also, we welcome contributions with all our heart. And um, I want to say that... um, I'm very proud and humbled to be part of this really beautiful organization. And I'd like to ask you, Lisa, thank you so much for your time. And I'd like to ask you, what would you like to say in closing to this conversation? Sure. Well, first of all, thank you, Joanna. Thank you for all of your work day in and day out. Um, You know, Future Primitive is a remarkable program that we are very, very proud to um, have in our midst and to be able to work towards every day of getting the word out of these amazing stories and these amazing people doing heartfelt, love-filled work that is actually making a difference. And so, you know, thank you for giving voice to so many people worldwide. And it's really humbling to listen to the interviews and to listen to the podcast and be a part of that. And also thank you for inviting me to be a part of it as well. Um, I uh, definitely appreciate that. And, you know, I'm, I'm very privileged and, and feel very lucky and fortunate to be a part of the Marion Institute and to be surrounded by an amazing team of people that are committed to, you know, working hard to uh, creating a more love-filled world. Because uh, as Michael Baldwin always puts it, that kindness is the key. Mm-hmm. And if we can be and live a more kind and love-filled life, then, you know, and share that, then, then, then we can, you know, really help to mold society in such a way that is peaceful and, um, you know, hopefully understand the interconnectedness of it all and that, that we can, you know, push this forward. So I would say, you know, thank you everybody for doing their part, you know, for um, leading a more love-filled, kind life. And um, thank you for inviting me to be a part of this. Okay, Lisa. Till next time. Sounds good. Thanks, Joanna. Future Primitive is made possible by the Marion Institute. If you enjoy these podcasts, please consider supporting our work by making a tax-deductible contribution online at futureprimitive.org.